the story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory, gathered by the crystal sea. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray. His loving arms around me drew me back into His way. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal Jesus healed me, faint was I for many a fall. Sight was gone and fears possessed me, but he freed me from them all. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory. story of the Christ of Calvary, how He left His home in glory for the cross of Calvary. And I'll tell you, I don't understand why He did what He did, but I'm so glad He did. And uh, I told somebody a while back, I said, you know, we get to heaven, the Bible says we'll know things that we don't know now. And right now we see through a glass darkly. There's some things we don't understand. But the Bible talks about when we see Him face to face, everything's going to become clear. We're going to understand those things. And I'm looking forward to that day. And uh, But, you know, one thing I don't know if I'll ever understand is why God loved me. And uh, it's very difficult to understand that concept other than to say that's just who He is. Uh, I'm thankful we have a God like that, aren't you? Uh, I shared in Sunday school a, a very personal story, a very difficult story for me to tell sometimes. 
of uh, me passing what I believed in the early years of my life was what God had for me to do. And I'm thankful we have a God of second chances, aren't you? I told our church, I said, I know I'm where God wants me now in my life. I have no doubt of that. Uh, if I did, I would be worth seeking for where God wanted me. And so I have no doubt of that now. But, you know, God could have, after that, after that time period in my life, God could have said, I'm done. If He's not going to obey, He's not going to do what I've asked Him to do, I'm done with Him. And I'm thankful He didn't just put me on the shelf somewhere. And uh, aren't you glad that He's a God of second chances? And third chances and fourth chances. And uh, You say, how many chances will He give you? Every time you come back to Him, He'll give you another chance. Every single time. Where sin abounded, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, grace did much more abound. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. Have you ever thought of that? Grace, getting something we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. It's the blessings of God given to us out of His bounty, not because we deserve it. And uh, you think about this, that it can never be exhausted. There's never a thing that we can do that will exhaust the grace of God and Him say, I'm done, I'm not going to do it anymore. That, that's, that's amazing to think about. I, I don't even know if we can understand that concept. Boy, the grace of God. I'm thankful for it. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ of Calvary. How He left His home in glory for the cross of Calvary. And I'll tell you what, I'm thankful today I'm saved. <coughs> and I hope that you're excited about it too. Uh, I think Christians ought to be excited. Uh, you know, one of the things I find in Scripture, two different places... Uh, one in Ephesians, when it talks about being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If you read the verses following that, it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And when you find God's power and our yieldedness to the Holy Spirit is what it ought to be, uh, our songs are going to be sweeter. Uh, we're just going to sing it differently. I was talking to a friend of mine years ago, and uh uh, I, I, I was asking how his church sang uh, the way they did. And uh, he's a dear friend of mine. And uh, he said, that's just the way they are. When, when they get excited about the things of the Lord, that's just the way they are. They just sing that way. They can't wait to get up there and sing it. And uh, I'll tell you, and then in Colossians, the Bible uses the phrase, instead of uh, being uh, uh, filled with the power of the Spirit, it uses this phrase, uh, that we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom. And by the way, I think those are one and the same. I believe those are two sides of the same coin. Uh, when we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, it abides in us. I believe that is the filling of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. We're yielded to His leading. Uh, he does His work through His Word. And uh, so it certainly is a, a joy to see that. But in that same uh, passage or parallel passage in Colossians, he uses the same uh, attributes. He says, when we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly with all wisdom... He says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And uh, I, I like good singing. I like uh, hymns that have good theology to them and that uh, draw our hearts to the Lord. And I hope when we sing, we sing from our hearts. Uh, we're not just going through the process of having a service, a church service by having our, our, our hymns sung. This is a time for our hearts to worship God, to spend time focusing on Him. And I'll tell you, when you start doing that and you think about what these songs are saying, there's times I get up to preach and I'm already excited. I haven't even started preaching yet. Uh, the songs are just that sweet to me. I will sing the wondrous story 
Oh, what a wondrous story it is of the Christ who died for me. And I hope we don't ever get over the day we got saved. I really do. And if you ever do get over it, I hope that God will stir our hearts again. And uh, <clears throat> I've been focusing and praying and reading a lot on revival recently and having the power of God on our lives. And God's done some things in my heart that have been a great blessing. And I'm glad that He stirs us afresh and anew sometimes, aren't you? Uh, we kind of get get stale and stagnant sometimes in our Bible reading or in our prayer time. And uh, it just seems like God brings it fresh again. And uh, by the way, it's not stale and stagnant because of what He did. It was stale and stagnant because of what I did. And that's always the case. Uh, the Bible tells us that God, God is a, uh, the resurrection and the life. Uh, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, the Bible says. And so God doesn't bring death. He doesn't bring stagnancy. He brings life. And as we said in Sunday school, He brings it more abundantly. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I, I think we ought to live on the mountaintops. I really do. I, I'm not saying that we don't go through valleys, but I think our spirit ought to always be on the mountaintop. And uh, I, I love uh, every time my heart gets cold or, or dry, uh, I'm thankful He's always right there. I mean, He's just a step away from coming back to Him again. And uh, what a joy that is. Ezra chapter 9 this morning, if you will. <clears throat> Ezra chapter 9. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. <clears throat> there are some great, great truths and principles that we find in Nehemiah's life. And the, the interesting thing to me about Nehemiah is uh, he was nobody special. Uh, I, you know, and I say that phrase, we're all special in the sight of God, but it's only because we're in the sight of God that we're special. The truth is, there's nothing special about us outside of God. And uh, Nehemiah was nothing special. He wasn't, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. Uh, he wasn't a king. Uh, he wasn't a spiritual leader or ruler. He was just a man. And out of all of the Scriptures, when we look at men that God used, I think of Gideon and some of these other fellows that were just, they were just plain people that God came and used in an unusual way. And when God takes something that's, that's usual, that's normal, and He does something very abnormal with it, something supernatural with it, uh, great things can begin to happen. And that encourages my heart. It ought to encourage your heart. Uh, because God can use every single one of us to do His work. And He wants to. And uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Let's look in verse number 1, Ezra chapter number 9. <clears throat> now when these things were done, the princes came to me, saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing... I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me one that were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the of God of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat astonished 
until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I arose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message this morning. Lord, I have a very heavy weight of truth, and I believe so much needs to be taught and caught, and that your Holy Spirit needs to stir in our hearts. And so, Father, may you help and aid this morning in the preaching. May you allow your word to make sense and to be understood clearly in the hearts of men. May your Holy Spirit do his work. And, Father, that we would see a renewed spirit in our hearts and our lives. That there would be a great fervency in our Christian life, uh, drawing near to you, seeking for your power upon us. Bless the message and speak as you would see fit. Lord, as we've already prayed and asked, if there's someone here that does not know that they're saved, Lord, my heart hurts to even think that there could be some here today that are on their way to hell and do not understand and know the truth of the love that You have for them and the salvation that You so much want to give to them. And so, Father, if that's the case today, if there's someone here that does not know they're going to heaven, I pray that You would allow us the opportunity today to share the Gospel with them, that they would see for the first time perhaps in their life Your love for them, Your forgiveness of their sin, and that by putting their faith and trust in You and what You've done on Calvary, they can have a home in heaven for all of eternity. They can escape the penalty that all of us are under for our sin. And they can have forgiveness and redemption through Your precious blood that You shed on Calvary that You will give to them eternal life. You will give them a God that loves them with all of His heart and give them a life of joy. And so, Father, I pray that You would help them to see that today, to get that matter settled before it's too late. Father, I pray for Christians that are here that You would revive our hearts. Help us to stir up inside of ourselves the thing that You've already given to us in the way of salvation that we would walk with You and love You more each and every day, that we would long to be more Christ-like. And so, Father, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been reading a lot on the subject of revival and having the power of God on our lives, and I believe that they're one and the same. And I, I believe this, that, and I've long felt this way, that we sometimes put the revivals that we think about in some kind of a context that we can understand them externally. Uh, for instance, a church will say, uh, we're going to have a, a revival meeting. And uh, some men of the church will get together, or maybe the pastor will uh, pray about, or whatever the case would be, and they'll uh, find some man that God is using mightily around the country. And they'll invite him in to preach for these, these revival services, and they'll expect that revival will happen. And I'm not, uh, I believe firmly that God's Word never returns void, and the preaching is always able to be used of the Lord Jesus Christ. But so oftentimes we put the emphasis on the preacher that we bring in to bring revival. Sometimes it's about the music. We say, boy, if we just had this kind of music, God would send revival. And I'm, I'm thankful that music is a, is a product of a revived heart. There's just something about having the power of God on your life and being revived that, that music plays a vital role in it. 
But we oftentimes think if we bring the music, then the revival will follow. And that's never the case. Maybe we say, okay, we're going to give ourselves to pray for revival. I was listening to a fellow uh, who was describing a great revival uh, years ago. Uh, and this fellow by the name of Campbell, Pastor Campbell, was the man who was called to preach for the revival services. The truth of the matter is the revival had already begun before the guest speaker even got there by several weeks. When he got there, he found the church filled with people that were already praying. And he gets there and he, co- he committed to stay for two weeks. He was a very busy itinerant pastor. And he ended up staying for two years. Uh, the revivals just continued to go on. Great moving of God. He came back to the States and a pastor friend of his uh, was so excited about hearing from him and he, he wanted to talk to him and interview him and question him. And so he begins to ask him about all these things uh, that happened in the revival, how it came about. And he was asking very, very specific questions. And finally, Pastor Campbell leaned forward in his seat and he said, Brother, don't let your interest in what God did in the revival where I was at rob you of what He wants to do here. In other words, he was saying, listen, there's not a, there's not a formula. There's, this isn't a, a, a pre-boxed uh, program that you bring in and God just brings revival. God works uniquely in every situation. God does His work when and, when, when and how He chooses. I've said often before, I believe it's G. Campbell Morgan who said that we can set our sails to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit should He choose to blow upon it. It's not about programming. It's not about planning. It's not even, to be honest with you, it's not even about the preaching. It really comes down to people that are already believers that have trusted the Lord as their Savior getting to a place where they are revived in their hearts with the presence of God in their life. There's a renewed excitement and zeal to have a walk with Him and to have His his closeness and that fellowship with Him. The stirring it up. There's something that I uh, was uh, reading about, and one of the fellows made this statement. He said, one thing that is common to all revivals is a spirit of brokenness. I thought, boy, what a statement. In the day that we live, we, we get to places in our Christian lives where we become polished as a Christian. You know what I'm speaking of when I say that? We, we become very professional in being a Christian outwardly. We go through the same steps. We've been saved for years. We've taught Sunday school classes. We've been leaders of groups and we've influenced other people's lives. And we, we quit having a brokenness that we used to have. A desperation for God to be present in our lives. I understand when we get saved that the Holy Spirit of God comes to indwell us and we are sealed from the moment we get saved. We never lose that. We don't lose salvation. And I'm thankful for a God that gives us that security, aren't you? I really am. But there are times that the fellowship with God gets so, so pushed off and we, we, we tend to, to put the emphasis on the work and the labor of, of putting on a revival service or, or having a, uh, I like, I'm from the South. We had camp meetings. Boy, camp meetings. They were exciting. I love camp meetings. They stir you up. They get some fire in you. And I think camp meetings serve a good purpose. But can I tell you this, that even planning a camp meeting or even planning a revival is not that which brings revival. 
There needs to be a desperation in our hearts, a brokenness in our hearts. Ezra lives during the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we've been studying in Sunday school, got word that the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, were still broken down, had been for many years. And the gates had been burned with fire, and he bro- it broke his heart when he heard this. He went to King Artaxerxes, who was the king of Persia at the time. He said, can you, can you give me materials and allow me to go back and rebuild the walls of my city? God prospered him. We're not through studying it, but I've already read the end of the story. And of course, God does it. They, they build the walls in record time. I mean, just an amazing moving of God in doing that. Alongside of Nehemiah is this fellow by the name of Ezra. They're contemporaries. And while Nehemiah focuses mainly on the revitaling, uh, revitalization of the city of Jerusalem, Ezra is concerned about the walls that are broken down in the hearts of the Israelites. He's talking about the destruction that's taken place in the hearts of the people. And Ezra's desire is for God to come to His people once again, to, to cause revival to happen. As we get to chapter number 9, we begin to see some of this. In verse number 3, the Bible says, well, let's go back to verse number 1 to 2. He says, now, when these things were written, these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel, and that would have been bad enough if it had just been the people of Israel. But notice he also says, and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands and, and what he means by that, he, he explains by saying this, doing according to their abominations. They, they, they saw the things that were going on in the world at the time, those people that were around them, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and he goes down through a whole list of them, the Moabites, the Jebusites, the uh, Egyptians, all of these folks, the Perizzites. These were, these were nations that had pagan gods and had idols that they worshipped. Isis and Moloch and Baal and some of these men, these 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 idols that were uh, big in the ancient history, and they worshipped these gods, which were no gods at all. They had a immoral behavior, uh, oftentimes that were centered around the worship of these gods. And I'm talking about unbelievable, horrendous acts, human sacrifices, and uh, sexual impurity and immorality going on. And and these nations were wicked and heathen in their worship. And the Bible says that the nation of Israel had, had, uh, had partaken of these things, but it wasn't just the people. Even the priests and even the Levites. And can I say this, that it's not just the normal person that took place in these things, but even those that were looked up to as spiritual leaders were giving themselves to the worldliness of that which surrounded them. They failed to, to separate themselves from it. I've said often that we need to be careful not to just separate ourselves from the world and stay a certain distance from the world because the problem with that is the world is getting worse. What we need to do is say, I'm not only going to separate myself from the world, but I'm going to separate myself to Christ. I'm going to put myself where my, my measurement of my spiritual life is not by my distance from the world, but my measurement of my life is how close I'm fitting to the Word of God. So oftentimes we say, boy, we need to, but Pastor, we need to preach on this topic or that topic. Can I tell you this? We need to get back to the Bible. 
Those topics won't even need to be dealt with if we can get back to the Bible. If we just say, okay, I'm going to stay so far from the world, I'm teaching you the wrong thing if that's all I ever teach you. Our rule and our standard that we guide our lives by is not my distance from the world or how far I stay away from them, but it is how close I get to the Word of God. These priests, these Levites who were supposed to be living holy according to the law, according to what God had given them, had forsaken their standard that they were to measure themselves by. And they said, I'm going to measure myself by this worldliness over here. They got involved in it. Verse number 2, the Bible says, For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. You see that last statement? The hand of the princes and rulers have been what? Chief. They've been chief in this trespass. There's not a person there that had not gotten involved in these trespasses. Oftentimes, we get to a place in our life where we look around us and we see that there are some people that are not as spiritual as I am. Don't we? You ever notice this? The greatest sins that we ever see are the sins that other people have. You ever notice that? What about ours? Well, ours aren't that big, are they? If they were big, if they were a big deal to us, they wouldn't be a part of us. We find a way to justify them. And so Ezra is broken by this. As Nehemiah saw the walls and the gates burned with fire and broken down, Ezra looks and he sees the souls of the nation of Israel. And they have not separated themselves. They have not come apart. They've grown accustomed to. They've settled for the behavior and the conduct of the world. Verse number 3, I want you to notice, And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down. And I want you to notice this. It says that he sat down. What's the next word here? Astonied. There's an astonishment of this. He heard that this sin was going on, and not just in the Israelites, but even in those that were, were well known as religious leaders. These were people we, in, in the day that we lived, we would look up to in our church and say, boy, those are some of the best of the best of our church. These are the ones that they look like a Christian, they talk like a Christian, they act like a Christian, they smell like a Christian. They, I wish I could be as good a Christian as they are. That's the type of people he's speaking of here. And Ezra hears this and he's astonished by it. The word is used. He's astonished. He goes on in verse 4, Then were the assembled, then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat, and here it is again, I sat what? 
astonished until the evening sacrifice. Revival will not come. Are you listening? This Don't miss this. Revival will not come until we begin to see sin as it really is. We've got to become astonished at it. Not in other person's lives, in mine and in yours. Oh, that sin that besets us, that sin that we've learned to live with. Well, it's not really hurting anybody. I've tried to gain victory and just haven't had success over it, so I'll just let it stay there. No, 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 no. We need to be astonished at it. In verse number 5, the Bible says, And at at the evening sacrifice I rose up from my heaviness, and having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees, spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. I want you to notice a few things between verses 4 and 5. Ezra is astonished at the sin that he recognizes, not only in his people, but in the leaders of his people and in his own life. He's astonished, and the Bible tells us when we were in verse number uh, verse number three that he plucked off his hair and and his beard and sat down astonished. He rent his garment and his mantle. Now I don't know how early he did this, but I know that when I get to verse number five, the Bible says that he was still there at the evening sacrifice. I'll be real frank with you. There have been times in my life that God has showed me some sin. I've gone to get it right and I'll spend five minutes or ten minutes confessing it and getting it right with God. Can I tell you this? And I'm not saying that it's a matter of time. It's a matter of my heart condition. I don't know that there was a brokenness when I prayed that way. I don't know that I was broken for that sin. I certainly didn't rent my clothes. I didn't sit astonished until the evening sacrifice. I didn't sit there in in despair over the sin that had been pointed out to me. I say all that to say this. We oftentimes, even when we confess our sins that God gives us, we're really not broken about them, are we? Can I tell you this? Revival doesn't come until there's a brokenness. We've got to quit being a polished Christian. We've got to quit doing through, going through the motions of what's expected of us. I'm thankful that the Bible says if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful that that is in the Scriptures. I'm thankful that I can come to God and confess my sin. By the way, confession is nothing more than being in agreement with God about my sin. And if that's the case and God is appalled and astonished by our sin, then why are we not? We come to Him and we think that by saying a prayer about it, that we've confessed it to God. Oh, I'm not so sure of that. I don't know that I've quite seen it the way God has seen it yet. Have I been broken over it? Oh, I long for God's power, Brother Greg. I long for revival. Let's get a preacher in here. Let's, let's have some special services. Let's get some good music. Oh my, let's just have a revival of brokenness. Brokenness. 
at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garment, my mantle, I fell upon my knees spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. Do we see here the desperation of Ezra? Do we see him calling out to his God, saying, God, I must have you. I cannot. These things are beyond me. He's astonished by this stuff. And verse number 6, as he begins his prayer, the Bible says and said, O God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to Thee, O my God. How in the world can we coddle the sin in our lives and then come to God carelessly and casually and say, Lord, I've spent my time in prayer with You today. When Ezra was broken for his sin, the Bible says he was ashamed. He blushed to so much as lift his eyes to God. When I find men of Scripture that come into the very presence of God, I find them falling prostrate. I find them kneeling. I find them bowing their heads before a holy God as they recognize the sinfulness of their sin and they recognize the holiness of a holy God. And folks, that is it. Unless we can learn those two things, there will never be the brokenness of us that needs to be there for revival to take place. For the stirring of our hearts, for the power of God to do a work. The Bible says he was ashamed. I want you to notice his posture. When this became apparent and evident to him, when he saw the sin... In the lives of his nation, sure. In the lives of the leaders, sure. But also in his own life, as we'll see as we get into his prayer. But I want you to notice his posture when he recognized the sinfulness of his sin. The Bible says that he fell upon his knees. I'm thankful Hebrews gives us And by the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the right to give, to come to the throne of God boldly, the Bible says. But when there is sin in my life, I don't think that's the time to come boldly to the presence of God. That's the time to come humbly. With brokenness. I want you to notice the prayer that he prays. Somebody said this one time. They said, we need to learn to get a hold of heaven and let heaven get a hold of us. He begins to pray. And I've spoken on this before, but I am so reminded of this in verse number 6. The Bible says, and he said, Oh, my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to Thee. My God. This O that is given in Scripture is an expression of Ezra being broken. To cry with his heart to God and say, Lord, I've got to have you. I'm desperately in need of you. 
One of the greatest revivals that I have ever read of is the Great Welsh Revival. Some of you have heard of it, probably have read about it. One of the eyewitnesses of that revival made this statement years ago. He said, I noticed when the revival came that the O returned to our prayers. I thought, boy, what a comment. A, a spirit of brokenness. So, so, so vital and so strong that there are no words to express to God our need for Him and the brokenness that we feel. What happens many times when we try to have revival is we begin to plan it. We may even have prayer meetings for it. I heard somebody say this one time. In fact, I think it was Brother Paul Evans reading a little book he wrote on revival praying this week. Great little book. In fact, I'm going to recommend it to our people here. On revival praying. And he makes the statement, we need to quit praying for revival and start having prayer that is revived. Revival praying. Nowhere in Scripture, he says, does God tell us or command us to pray for revival. But he tells us to constantly seek God through our praying. To seek for His presence. When we're full of self or what we can produce, then there's no room for Christ to do what He longs to do. So there's got to be a brokenness. I want us to see several things here in verse number 6, and we'll be done. What is it that marks the brokenness of a heart? Verse number 6, Ezra says, And said, O God, O my God, I am ashamed. Number one, we've already said it, there needs to be a desperation for the presence of God in our life. When we're broken, when we're finally at the point of saying, God, I'm desperate for You, it shows pure brokenness. I love the story of Gideon. And uh, I heard a fellow years ago make this statement. If you remember the story of Gideon, he took 300 men, surrounded the Assyrian army, and at the signal they took torches and they had pitchers put on top of them. And at the signal they all broke the pitchers and held the torches up high and said, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the Assyrians killed each other and fled. I heard somebody use that story and talk about this. That there was a light that those men were holding, but it was covered by an earthen pot, an earthen vessel. And the light could not shine until the vessel was broken. And I thought, oh my, ye are the light of the world, Jesus said. But we have an earthen vessel that often hides it, doesn't it? And for that light to shine, there needs to be a brokenness. There needs to be a desperation for God's presence. I think secondly, another sign of a broken spirit is a shame for our sin. We've lost being embarrassed or ashamed of our sins. We've gotten to the point of being a scorner. We no longer think of our sin as sinful. There are two things that will help us to have the shame for sin that we ought to have. Number one, we need to see the sinfulness of the sin. And we need to admit the fact that we have it. There was a song years ago we used to sing as part of the hash chorus, Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. 
standing in the need of prayer. We need to see our own sinful selves. Second, we need to see God's holiness. If we're going to have the shame for sin that we need to have, we need to see the sinfulness of sin. And when we compare it to the holiness of God, we cannot help but be ashamed of it. I am embarrassed that I have failed God in so many ways in my life. Where is my brokenness? Where is the vessel that is broken? Number three, look with me in verse number five. I'm sorry, verse number 6. And he said, O my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to Thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head. There needs to be a recognition of our weakness to overcome sin. If we're going to be broken, we're going to not be self-reliant on defeating sin. I remember years ago a fellow who had been away from the Lord for a period of time and had gotten right with the Lord and came back to our church and was a member there and was very excited about what God was doing in his life. And I remember one night sitting there talking with him and he said, you know, I was away from the Lord for so long and boy, I was miserable. I couldn't stand that life. And he said, God got a hold of my heart and he brought me back and I'm so glad to be here. And I'm glad God does that, aren't you? But he made this statement. He said, Brother Greg, you'll never have to worry about me again. I'm never going back there. And as soon as he said it, I cringed. I thought, oh my. We need to have a recognition of our own weakness in conquering sin. And with that, it's going to come an absolute reliance upon God to gain victory over sin for us. Because the truth is, we can't. We've got to quit being a polished Christian. We've got to quit being the one that says, I've got victory over this and I can take care of this. No, no. I can't. But God can. And I need to express my brokenness and my desperation for Him. And revival will come. Ezra nowhere in chapter 9 prays for God to send revival. But he expresses a spirit of brokenness. And he expresses his absolute desperation and dependence upon the presence of God. And revival comes. Number four, I want you to notice lastly in verse number six. He says our iniquities are increased over our head. In other words, we can't control them ourselves. God's got to help us. He's made this statement. He said our trespass is grown up under the heavens. We need to see sin the way that God sees our sin. You say, Brother Greg, how does God see our sin? We find it in verse 7. In verse 7 he says, Since the days of our fathers have we been in great Trespass. He begins his prayer by saying his own uh, trespass, our trespass, verse number 6. He includes himself in it. Ezra knows that he's not perfect. Ezra knows that he's followed and done some of the things even that some of these other folks have done. And so he doesn't just say, Lord, would you please forgive the sin of everybody else? He says, no, no, we're in this basket together, Lord. 
My nation has turned to other, other countries and their idols. They've taken their wives. They've begun to worship them. Our, even our religious leaders are going that way. And Lord, even me, even I have failed you. He says, forgive our trespasses in verse 6. But by the time we get to verse number 7, he says, oh God, I am, verse number 6, it says, the days of our fathers have we been in great trespass unto this day. Can I tell you this? He began as he began to pray to see just how God views our sin. Can I tell you this? There are no little sins to God. We talk about little white lies. People use that expression. There are no little white lies. Every one of them sent my Savior to Calvary. Every one of them required the death of a Savior to save our souls. Our sin needs to be something that we look at and say, Lord, it's not just a trespass. It's a great trespass. It's an iniquity. It's something that has sent you to Calvary on my behalf. Psalmist wrote, Search me, O God. Try my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me, he said. Because David knew the, the seriousness of this sin. Ezra begins to pray. We've not even gone through his whole prayer. If you get time this afternoon, you ought to read it. The rest of chapter number 9. I love it. We get down to verse number 10. He says, And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments which Thou hast commanded by Thy servants the prophets, saying, The land unto which ye go to possess it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to another with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever." What does every great revival have in common? There's a commonness, a commonality of brokenness. Brokenness. I long for revival. I do. I long for God's power. And there are times in my life that there has been brokenness. There's no doubt. And there's times that there's not been brokenness. We're not going to experience the great moving of God until there is a spirit of brokenness. Somebody I well know well and is a friend of mine used to pastor. In fact, he's pastoring again now. But a number of years ago, he and I were talking. He said, I don't believe there will be any more great revivals. He said, the world is waxing worse and worse. In fact, take a minute to look at that. I, a lot of people say things like this, and I, I get frustrated when they do. Because I believe God not only can, but God desires for there to be revival. By the way, we don't have to beg and plead for God to do something He already wants. The reason that revival doesn't happen is because we're not prepared for it. I like what Brother Paulie said. We ought to be living in a revived state all the time. But because we hinder God, that's why revival doesn't come. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a minute. 
I've heard these preachers, and I, I mean, they're, they're well-meaning and they're sincere preachers. They get up and they say, well, I don't believe we'll have any great revivals any, anymore. And they point to this verse, verse number 13. They say, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And they say, I believe our country and our world is too far gone for God to do great revival." But I don't see that in Scripture. In fact, look at the next verse. But continue thou. Doesn't matter what the world does. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And from that child thou hast known the holy Scriptures that are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you this? Revival is nothing more than a renewed desire for the presence of God in my life. And there needs to be a brokenness. There needs to be a recognition of absolute desperation, if you will, for the presence of God in my life and in your life. I long for God's power. I do. I love to see God do something great in my lifetime. I'd like to experience something like that, wouldn't you? You hear some of these great, great revivals, you read about them. And the danger of reading about them is you try to find out what they did to get there, and then you try to emulate or imitate the same thing. But it's not about that. It's about having God's presence in our life. Last Wednesday, we listened to a video. Brother Paulie, I shared this in Sunday school. Brother Paulie made this statement. He said, revival looks like Jesus. We need to pray the Holy Spirit will cut away everything in our life that does not look like Jesus and put into our lives everything that looks like Him. And I think that's when revival comes. We have the presence of God on our lives. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Speak to our hearts. Lord, the message has been primarily for those of us that are saved. Lord, we long for revival. We really do. I think for far too long we've misunderstood it. We've tried all kinds of things that people have said would work. The truth is we just really need to seek for your presence to have that brokenness to have that absolute desperation. To say as the one preacher said, when we get to the place that Jesus is enough, we will see our revivals. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have Your presence. May we forsake the sin. May we have a brokenness for it. May there be a reviving of our hearts and walk with Thee. Bless the invitation time. And Lord, if there's someone here that needs to be saved, that needs to trust You as their Savior, I pray that You'd help them to come forward. Let's take the Bible and show them how they can be saved. Bless the invitation. May Your Holy Spirit use it as He would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed, we'll have the piano and organ play a verse or two of invitation. If God's spoken to you, would you come?
fathers, we dismiss in prayer. We pray that you would bless the services that we've had, the Sunday school hour, uh, the 11 o'clock hour. Lord, the messages that you've put upon our hearts, I pray that your Holy Spirit will use them. That we will not quickly forget them, that you'll engrave them upon our hearts and our minds. Help us to respond appropriately to them. And Father, that there would not be a uh, spirit of obstinance or uh, stiff-neckedness, but Lord, that there would be a yieldedness, a surrender. That we would yield ourselves to you wholly, that there would be a brokenness. And Lord, may we see revival come. May we see your power fall. Dismiss us with your blessings, Lord, we pray, and bless the time of fellowship and the time of food. And uh, Lord, may it be sweet, may it be something that we can enjoy and uh, meet together again here shortly, having rejoiced in your goodness during the lunch hour. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
have any questions, feel free to call me or talk to me later.
and ask them gentle. Today is the day to take back your smile. Why wait? Save 20% on... soul to joyful days and sing thy great redeemer's praise he justly claims a song from me his loving kindness oh how free
So teach my song to rise to you When temptation comes my way And when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay Oh I need you Oh I need you Every hour I need you My one defense My righteousness Oh God how I need you my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need Teach my son to rise to you.
you have any um, song suggestions today? Okay. I, I was thinking of doing that. I was going to ask you first. Okay. <laughs>
Domino's is testing driverless delivery. Domino's. And it's got someone back to their old habits. Avoid the noise when you get any two or more medium two-topping Domino's pizzas delivered for just $5.99 each. Avoid the noise.
Thomas, everybody. This mic is turned up a little loud. That's just for my liking. Okay. Right on. Huh. Tell them to sit in the front. Sure. I do sit right in front of the speaker, so I hear quite quite well. You're welcome to play. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't twist your arm or nothing. Is a good one too. Be at least seven or eight more people downstairs. But I had been. 
Everybody, if you would please join with me on page 496, page 496, Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory.
song you want to sing? What is it? 447. 447. The Lily of the Valley. <clears throat> I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. The fairest of ten thousand to my soul The lily of the valley In him alone I see All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole In sorrow he's my comfort In trouble he's my stay He tells me every care on him to rule Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley the bright and morning star He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul He all my griefs has taken And all my sorrows borne In temptation He's my strong and mighty tower I have all for Him forsaken And all my idols torn From my heart and now He keeps me by His power Though all the world forsake me, and Satan tempt me sore, through Jesus I shall safely reach the goal. Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do His blessed will A wall of fire about me I've nothing now to fear With His manna He my hungry soul shall fill 
Then sweeping up to glory, I'll see his blessed face, where rivers of delight shall ever roll. Hallelujah, he's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Amen. Speaking of that, go to 256, please. Page 256, it is well with my soul. Bye. 
Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. There are some prayers that are given in Scripture that I think are wonderful to read and to use as examples to pattern our praying after. I believe Psalm 51, in light of uh, the fact that we've been dealing with and, and teaching and preaching here recently on um, God's power and revival to come, um, we spoke last hour about having a broken spirit, a brokenness of heart regarding our sin. And along with that comes uh, the natural outpouring of that is a spirit of confession to God, where we confess our sins to God. And again, we, I mentioned just briefly last hour that um, a confession of sin is not just uh, an acknowledgement of our sin. Uh, sometimes I think we feel like if we uh, pray about that sin to the Lord and we just bring it up to Him and acknowledge it, that that is our confession. But it's beyond that. It's agreeing with God about the sin. Uh, what God feels about it. And for us to take the same position on that sin that God takes. And I believe that that's when full confession comes in our lives. As we get to Psalm 51, the psalmist is giving a prayer of confession. And I like the pattern that he uses here. I'm going to read uh, the entire psalm. And then I want to give you uh, 19 points today, okay? How many of you believe in miracles? Anybody believe in miracles? It'll be a miracle if we get all 19 of them today. So if not, we'll end at 2 o'clock no matter what and pick up there next Sunday if we have to. In Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. And by the way, any forgiveness of sin from God is always because of His loving kindness. It is never because we've deserved His forgiveness. According unto the multitude of Thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me throughly. I believe this is the key to confession of sin. Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which Thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide Thy face from my sins, I love this, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Thy presence, and I like this part too. Take not Thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation, and uphold me with Thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors Thy ways, and sinners (coughs) shall be converted unto Thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of Thy righteousness. O Lord, open Thou my lips, and my mouth shall sow forth Thy praise. For Thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. Do good in Thy good pleasure, undesigned. Build Thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased when the sacrifices of righteousness, with the sacrifice of righteousness, with burnt offering, and the whole burnt offering when they shall offer bullocks upon thine altar. I was reading uh, some things by Oswald Smith. Oswald Smith wrote a book called The Revival That We Need. And a tremendous book. And um, I want to give you 19 things that he gives, all right? I wish I could claim these for my own because they're really good. But these are from Oswald Smith. And I'm going to just preface what he asks here. And, and all of these are questions. They're, they're questions that we need to ask when it comes to the idea of confession of sin. He makes this statement. He says, we will have to deal first of all with the question of sin for unless our lives are right in the sight of God, unless sin has been put away, we may pray until doomsday and the revival will not come. So he, he gives 19 questions on the issue of confession because he believes we ought to be serious about confessing our sin and that this is one of the keys to the beginning of revival in our hearts. And uh, these are often, these are very pointed questions. I, uh, I often have taught uh, how, to, how to find and develop Bible principles. And one of the ways I teach that is when you find one in Scripture, uh, form it into a question. That's where application begins. Um, for instance, Paul, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Um, and so when I came across that principle in Scripture, I formed a question that I'll ask myself often when I'm doing some things. Uh, is it lawful? Of course, yes, it is. I live under grace. But the other question I come up with is, is it expedient? Is it really beneficial to me? And that's where I can start making application. Um, I believe uh, Clarence Sexton was the fellow who said that a truth does not become real until it becomes personal. When it begins to work in our hearts, in our lives. And so, uh, Oswald Smith uh, gives 19 questions, very pointed questions. If you've got a pen and you want to write them down, that'll be great. If you don't get them all, we'll record it. I think we're recording. Are we recording, Brother Kenny? Okay, no. then we're not recording. Oh, is okay. We are recording. Okay, we're so we're all set. And Brother Keith's got it. And uh, or uh, I don't mind giving you the resource that I got this from either, if you'd like to study it, or you can get the book, um, the revival that we need by Oswald Smith, and and he's got that in there. So number one, uh, this was the first question he asks: Have we forgiven everyone? 
Have we forgiven everyone? Under that, he says, Are there, is there a spirit of malice, spite, hatred, or enmity in our hearts? Do we cherish grudges? Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? Sometimes we do. And do we refuse to be reconciled? All of that falls under that question, have we given everyone forgiveness? Probably one of the most condemning sins that we as Christians face is the lack of forgiveness. It's amazing to me how oftentimes we overlook or will pass on or get along with, but we really haven't given true forgiveness. We tend to cherish our grudges. We cherish the spite and the animosity. We may, we may get along well with that person, but to someone else, we will express to them all the faults that we find in them. We hold those grudges. We become very critical of that person to other people. And that's not forgiveness. So he asks the question, have we given everyone forgiveness? Number two, he says, do we get angry? Do we get angry? And under that, to be a little more pointed, to be a little more applicable in our lives, he says this, are there uprisings that are within? In other words, is there some anger that we don't express, but it's in our heart? Somebody said this one time years ago, that the most common sins among Christians are the sins of the mind. Because we don't think anybody sees them or hears them. And it's possible to be angry at someone without expressing anger. And it doesn't make it any less wrong just because we haven't expressed it. He says, Are there any uprisings within? Is it true that we still lose our isn't it true that we still lose our tempers? Does wrath hold us in times at times in its grip? Does wrath hold us at times in its grip? Um, I, <laughs> I used to have a very strong temper when I was younger. <coughs> I asked the Lord a long time ago to help me with my temper. And we, I worked on it for years, and God was gracious and helped me with some of it. But there were times that it wasn't that I didn't have the temper. It was that the person never knew I had the temper. You know what I mean? Uh, the teeth were still grinding inside in my heart. There was still a, a just, you know, I could feel the blood pressure rising kind of thing. In these latter years, God has given great grace. You know how He's helped me with my temper? He's helped me to have a brain that forgets very easy. <laughs> So hard to be angry at somebody. I've had people come and say, Pastor, I owe you an apology. And they'll say something that happened the day before. I'll be like, I don't even know what in the world you're talking about. And it, I appreciated the offer. But they had come and apparently it had bothered them that maybe it had bothered me or something. And uh, But you know, the truth of the matter is we can be angry on the inside and never let anybody know it. And it's still wrong. It still would be a hindrance to revival. Number three, is there any feeling of jealousy? When another is preferred before us, does it make us envious or uncomfortable? Do we get jealous of those who can pray, speak, and do things better than we can? Pride is probably one of the biggest problems in a Christian's life. And it shows itself in jealousy. Number four, do we get impatient and irritated? Don't worry, I'm not going to give an altar call after this. Do we get impatient and irritated? Do little things vex and annoy us? Are we sweet, calm, and unruffled under all circumstances? These are the types of things that characterize someone 
who is prepared for revival. Our hearts are ready for it. Number five, are we offended easily? Are we offended easily? I was... I just heard down at lunchtime somebody who was saying something about being offended. Oh, Miss uh, June said something about about that. Not not supposed to be easily offended. Psalm one nineteen, I think, is it? Or one? I don't remember what the. It's a psalm. It says, "Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them." And uh, I'm reminded of the story um, Bobby Roberts, Doctor Bobby Robertson, told years ago, and I've shared it when uh, he had Lester Roloff come and preach for him. And he introduced Brother Roloff by saying, come on up here, you old reprobate, and preach for us. And uh, they joked around like that because they were good friends. But after that, Brother Bobby's heart was really convicted about that. He thought he hurt Brother Roloff's feelings. And uh, the next day, he told Brother Roloff, he apologized to him. He said, I'm so sorry. He said, if I have offended you. And Brother Roloff said, Brother Bobby, if you offended me, that's my problem, not yours. He said, because you can't offend a dead person. And I'm supposed to be dead to self. And I thought, boy, what a great truth. If more Christians could ever get a hold of that truth, I think God could do so many more things in our midst. I really do. Are we offended easily? When people, people fail to uh, notice us, when they pass by without speaking, does it hurt? Uh, if others are, make, um, are made much of and we are neglected, how do we feel about that? Uh, somebody else gets credit for something we labored and did a lot of work on. We tend to get offended by that. And I've seen people leave churches over that. I really have. Is there pride in any of our hearts? Number six, is there pride in any of our hearts? Are we puffed up? Do we think a great deal of our own position and our own attainments? Is there pride in our hearts? Number seven, have we been dishonest? Have we been dishonest? Do we give a yard for a yard, a pound for a pound? Are we honest in our statements? Or do we exaggerate and thus falsely convey impressions? Are we honest? Again, when it comes to this confession of sin, a lot of times we look at the big sins and we say, oh yeah, I'm I'm confessed up on those. And oftentimes we miss these because they become such a part of our lives. And these are the ones that need to be confessed. These are the ones that need to be addressed. Number eight, have we been gossiping about people? Do we slander the character of others? Are we talebearers and busybodies? Let's be careful about that. Especially on the, in the day we live with all the social media that's out there. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to write something mean-spirited about somebody else when you're in the privacy of your own home and you're not standing there eyeball to eyeball with them? Anybody else notice that besides me? (laughs) It is. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to do that? And so because of that, oftentimes we say things that we shouldn't say. Years ago, we used to teach the elementary school at our our school uh, a a set of principles, and we had a teacher that came up with it, and I thought, well, that's great. We We want our elementary to do this, and a lot of our teachers adopted it. And uh, a lot of times they'd be out on the playground and some kids would get into a little skirmish or something. They'd come running up to teacher and each of them has their own version of what happened, you know. And um, so we came up with this little thing. One of the teachers did and, and, and I loved it. I thought, boy, what a, what a great sense, a deal of wisdom is in it. But before we speak, we ought to ask three questions. Number one, is it true? Is it true? If it's not true, don't say it. Number, number two, is it necessary? 
might be truthful, but it may not be necessary. If it's not necessary, don't say it. And number three, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? I believe that if you look at pretty much everything that Jesus said, He followed those three rules. Even when He called the Pharisees, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, at least He was doing it because it was necessary. And uh, I think we're to emulate Christ in these in these matters. So do we do we gossip? Do we tell uh, uh, slander or talebear? Number nine. Do we criticize unlovingly, harshly, or severely? Do we criticize unlovingly, harshly, or severely? I'm not saying all criticism is wrong. There are times that we need the criticism of a friend. There are friends that will bring things to light, not to be harmful, but because they love us. Because they're trying to help us in an area. That is, we, we call it constructive criticism. Uh, so I'm not saying all criticism is bad, but when it becomes something that is not helpful, it becomes a, an unkind thing and perhaps even causes even greater harm on the issue, then we ought not to be a part of it. Number ten, do we rob God? Do we rob God? Have we stolen time that belongs to Him? It's easy sometimes to say when, when people ask that question, people think, well, pastor's talking about tithing. We can rob God in a lot of different ways. Our time belongs to Him. Our life belongs to Him. Are we robbing God of these things? Number 11, we're making good time. We're going to make it, I think. Are we guilty of the sin of unbelief? Are we guilty of the sin of unbelief? In spite of all that He's done for us, do we still refuse to believe the promises of His Word? We spoke a little bit about that in Sunday school today. And uh, to believe great things from God. To, to have the faith. You know, Jesus used a, 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 an analogy in Scripture of having the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed and being able to accomplish something as great as telling a mountain to be cast into the sea and that it could happen. Now, God wasn't telling us to go out and tell mountains to be cast into the sea. What He's saying is, don't be afraid to ask for great things. God can do them. So are we guilty of the sin of unbelief? How many of you believe, don't don't raise your hand, but in our heart of hearts, how many of us believe that God can send great, sweeping, Holy Spirit-filled revival again? Or how many of us say, boy, in the day we live, I don't know. I've had pastors tell me they don't believe God can send great, sweeping revival. That's nothing less than the sin of unbelief. Number 12... What about the sin of prayerlessness? Have we committed the sin of prayerlessness? We've committed the sin of prayerlessness. When it comes to this confession of sin, when the psalmist asks the Lord to search his heart, to purge him with hyssop, to see if there be any wicked way in him, I wonder if these are the things that he's speaking of. The things that so often are part of our lives that we don't look at and say, those are sins in my life. Because we've come so accustomed to them being a part of what we, who we are. Number 13, are we neglecting God's Word? Are we neglecting God's Word? 
Are we students of the Bible? Is our source of strength daily from the Scriptures? Are we neglecting God's Word? It is our sustenance, what sustains us. It's what helps to provide the nourishment for our souls. Number 14. Are we burdened for the salvation of the lost? Are we burdened for the salvation of the lost? Number 15. Have we failed to confess Christ openly? Have we failed to confess Christ openly? Are we ashamed of Jesus? Do we keep our mouths closed when we're surrounded by worldly people? It's easy to talk about Christ when you're among brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? Pettybones had the Fourth of July Fellowship over at their house the other night. Uh, I told somebody the other day, I think that's God's gift to them. God's gifted them in that area of fellowship. Because, uh, boy, it's, I enjoy every time we get a chance to go over there. And it's easy, isn't it? There were several of us sat around and we got to talking about the things of the Lord while we were there. I know Brother Mark and I, we sat down and struck up a conversation for a while. And I know a couple of the other ladies. And it's easy to confess the Lord and to talk easily. But what about when we're around worldly people? Ungodly people, unsaved people. Are we just as easily and at home discussing Christ in those same environments? Are we neglecting or failing to confess Christ openly? Number 16, are our our lives filled with lightness and frivolity? Are our lives filled with lightness and frivolity? If the world looked at the way we lived our lives, would they consider us to be like them? To not have a soberness of mind, to not have the thoughts of eternity on our hearts, to just go about life day to day, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Uh, Do we live our lives with lightness and frivolity? Or is there a soberness to us? I'm not saying that we can't go and enjoy and even have times apart. I understand there are times that... There needs to be rest and relaxation. I understand those moments. But as Christians, there ought always be underneath the surface a living in light of eternity, a soberness of mind. Uh, it ought to be as natural for us to enter into a discussion with a lost person about the Lord Jesus Christ as any other form of conversation. We ought to live with the preponderance of, of, of eternity in our hearts. And not to live like the world where we're just out here doing whatever just for the sake of doing it. Number 17, have we wronged anyone and failed to make restitution? There's somebody that we have wronged and failed to make restitution. Number 18, are we worried or anxious? This is one that's difficult, isn't it? We tend to worry easily. Are we worried or anxious? Do we fail to trust God for our temporal and spiritual needs? When I was a kid, anytime we went under an overpass, my mom and dad would say, Okay, kids, hold up the, hold up the roof. <laughs> 
And, and it was something we did that was fun as kids. We'd try to hold the roof of the car up in case the bridge fell. But uh, I don't remember which one of my brothers or sisters. I think it might have been my youngest sister, perhaps. But one of them actually developed a fear of going across bridges because of that. They thought that the bridge might fall. And uh, they were always worried. Oh, Dad, hurt. You know, we get in a traffic jam and get stopped on a bridge. You ever had that happen? You all feel when the bridge shakes? You know, have you ever felt that when it shakes? Because they're made to move, you know. And she'd be petrified. I mean, she'd be like, Dad, get off this bridge. I'm so nervous. And we laugh and chuckle at that because that's a small thing and a temporal thing. But what is it that we worry of over? What is it that we're anxious about? The Bible says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. The fact that we're to pray about those things and not to worry about them. Casting all your care upon Him for He careth for you. And we don't look at anxiety. We don't look at worry as a sin, do we? In fact, rarely do we even think about it. We have worry. And you know that worry is really nothing more than faithlessness. That's, that's all it boils down to. But again, some of these things, and I love what Oswald Smith has done here. He's brought some common everyday things that are part of our lives and said, we don't think to confess these. The big ones, yes, we know. Oh, yeah, I, I, I did this. I looked at something. I thought something. I said something. I treated somebody this way. And the big things, you know, the things we can recognize as sins, these are things that are commonplace in many of our hearts and lives that we never look at and say, that's a sin. I need to confess that. I need to get that right. And when these things are held in our hearts, this is when, we, when I said last hour, we've learned to become a very polished Christian. We, we emphasize the sins that are the big sins. But the ones we have, we, we oftentimes don't even recognize them. We've so polished the outside of the cup that we fail to realize these things are things that quench and grieve the Holy Spirit of God in us. And then we sit and wonder and pray and, and say, Lord, send revival, send revival, send, send your power. I, want, I just want that stirring again. And the truth is, there's so much inside of us that we've yet to confess. Number, uh, what are we on now? Anybody know? 19. Are we on 19? We made it. Are we guilty of lustful thoughts? Do we allow our minds to harbor impure or unholy imaginations? We oftentimes refer to these things mostly as uh, being sexually impure or immoral, but lustful thoughts are anything that is of an unholy nature, an unholy desire of our lives. Uh, an alcoholic has a lust for alcohol. A drug addict has a lust for drugs. What is it that we allow to have power over us? Paul made mention to the Corinthians, he said, all things are lawful for us, or for me, but all things are not expedient. Two chapters later, he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. What is it that has a hold on you, a power over you? I wonder what would happen. I, I almost, almost made this challenge today. I wonder what would happen if for 30 days we would stop all forms of social media and take the time that we would normally do to spend time on our knees with Scripture. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen. I think maybe our thoughts would be different. 
I certainly believe our hearts would be different. And I would wonder oftentimes if maybe God would be able to, in the quietness of our hearts, show us maybe even more than 19 things that we've grown so accustomed to in our lives that need to be confessed. Because I'll be honest, when I went through that list, I was like, yeah, I got that one. (laughs) Yeah, I got that one. And I wasn't happy when I got to the end of the list at how many I had. And didn't even realize it. It's not ones I thought about. It's not ones that I thought, well, yeah, I, I think of the big ones, you know. Living a good life in front of others and testimony and the importance of that. But these are things that if you have in your life, most people wouldn't even recognize them as sin. I certainly didn't. But yet they are. And uh, so in, in light of confession, when the psalmist spent an entire chapter of Psalms, the entire psalm, dealing with the confession of his heart, having a heart that just is, is, is pleading with God, Lord, help me to see my sin the way you see it. My sin is ever before me. I hope that after seeing this list or reading these things or writing them down, we'll go back and examine our lives and that the Holy Spirit of God will start probing and prodding and pricking and making us so uncomfortable with them until we finally realize that's got to go. I've got to get that out of my life. I've got to confess that. I've got to look at it the same way God looks at it and get it out of my life. And I wonder, I just wonder what God would do in a church and a group of people that would be able to confess those types of things and let the Holy Spirit have His will and His way in the matter. Uh, Again, not things we normally think about when we think of sins, is it? But things that still need to be dealt with nonetheless. So I hope that will be a help to you. And uh, I hope that we'll leave here today with the messages on our hearts. It certainly has been a good day. I've enjoyed the preaching times and the Sunday school hour. And I hope that we'll take the truths from it with us and uh, meditate on them, think on them throughout the day today. And uh, perhaps even this list. It wouldn't hurt to type it up, put it on your refrigerator, maybe put one on one a piece on a 3 by 5 card and put them around your house just to remind us because they become so much a part of our lives that if we're not careful, we'll pass over them and not realize that they need to be confessed. All right? Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless and help us to see, search our hearts, Lord. We mean this. We, we ask that You would search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. And Lord, when You show it to us, as we know that You will, I pray that You'd help us to have a spirit that is willing to confess it and to get that right with You. Lord, we want nothing more than to have Your Holy Spirit's power resting upon us. To see revival spread and to go through this place. Lord, may this be the start of it as You begin in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Dismiss us with Your blessings. Amen.